0: Ah, Labor Day. The beach, barbecues, getting away for one last weekend before the summer winds down. These are some of the things you're probably thinking about this morning as the holiday weekend approaches. But this is money talking. So when it comes to the first Monday in September, we're thinking about the labor movement the holiday honors and the future of unions because they're in a lot of trouble. That's disgusting! Union busting! What's outrageous! What's outrageous! On WNYC, I'm Charlie Herman, and union membership in this country has been on a slow, steady decline since its peak in the 1950s. For some, this is a good thing. They point to what they see as overgenerous public pensions that are draining government budgets. But others disagree because they see a direct link between the decline of the middle class and disappearing union jobs. With me to discuss the state of the union is Ruth Milkman, professor at the City University of New York Graduate Center, and Lydia Depillis, economics reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And professor, how would you describe union membership today?
1: Well, it's changed dramatically in the last few decades. Not only has it declined, but the composition of it has changed quite a bit. The most striking version of that is that public sector unionization rates are much, much higher than those for workers in the private sector about 35% of public sector workers are unionized, a little over a third, but in the private sector, it's in the single digits, about 7%.
0: What accounts for that decline? Is it globalization, jobs being sent overseas?
1: Well, globalization has had some effect, but mostly that's been limited to the manufacturing sector. But the decline has been almost as great in industries that can't move overseas, for example, construction. And the biggest single factor is employer attacks on unions that have been underway since the mid 1970s when, you know, which is also when inequality started to grow.
0: Lydia, there are some people who think that the unions hindered the economy or especially if you look at uh, the attacks on uh, public unions right now, that it's hindering economic growth and spending by the states because they are so hamstrung in paying pensions. I'm wondering if there is an argument to be made there that having fewer unions actually can promote better flexibility and growth.
2: So the whole debate around public sector unions is a little bit different from private sector unions. Um, It is true that pension obligations are a huge budget burden these days. But, you know, defined benefit pensions are a huge benefit to the economy or have been in the past because that meant that the state didn't have to take care of people in their old age because they took lower wages while... They were working with the promise that they could have a secure retirement. Now, in Illinois, for example, where the biggest problem is, sure, there was perhaps some irresponsible non-payment into those funds. Like, that's part of the reason why they're seeing such problems, not because of people's pensions, but because the funds weren't stewarded responsibly.
0: So if there is a future for unions, is it in white-collar workers? Uh, You look at the recent decision by the National Labor Relations Board that allows grad students at private universities to form unions. There's some increasing rates in the legal profession. Is that the future?
1: It's definitely part of the future. That is sort of low-hanging fruit in the case of the graduate students. These are people who are extremely motivated to form unions for a variety of reasons and have been doing it wherever they can. In public sector universities, it's been legal for many years, and those unions are thriving. And so it's not clear what kind of dent that will make in the overall unionization rate in the United States, which, you know, this is not a huge part of the workforce, but that's a place where you're going to see a lot of organizing in the near term.
2: A lot of these professional people have had a mentality for a long time that because of their skills, they are valuable, and their employers will take care of them. And as their work, too, has become increasingly commoditized, there's been an increasing awareness that maybe, quote-unquote, old ways of protecting your rights and your ability to make a good living could be useful, in fact. And we saw this as well at digital media companies, right? Like, who would have thought that Gawker, Salon, or The
1: Guardian, and now a string of others would have unionized?
0: Professor, do we need unions?
1: I think workers benefit greatly from having unions, not only economically, though that is a factor, but because having the kind of job protection that unions provide allows them to speak freely on the job about whatever concerns they have.
0: We're so worried right now about the lack of wage growth and the lack of good quality jobs. Do you think that if we had more unions that that would actually improve that issue, that people would get better pay?
2: I think that that is generally the role that unions have played, right? Increasing the share of revenues that go to workers as opposed to shareholders or executives. And, and that's been historically, when we've seen wage growth, we've had strong unions and vice versa. Because they're really the only ones out there fighting for middle-class interests in general in the economy, right? There's not many other people who are going to fight for an increase in the minimum
1: wage or paid sick leave. We can learn something from other countries here. You know, Germany is a really interesting case where de-unionization has been much smaller than in the U.S., and pay levels are much higher, and the economy is thriving. I mean, and if you look at the, the states that have the highest unionization rates, there are states like New York, California and they are among the most economically dynamic states. So a correlation is not causation, but there's a lot of evidence out there that this really can make a positive difference.
0: So then what is the future of unions?
1: Well, so it's one thing to wish for higher unionization rates, and there's another thing to bring it about. There's tremendous resistance from employers, especially in the private sector and increasingly in the public sector as well. and. Unless something is done to change the law, it's hard to see how that's going to change. That that opposition is largely ideological in my view. There's no rational basis for it, but um, it's out there. And under current law, employers have been highly successful at preventing unionization when they want to. So that's what would have to change.
0: Lydia?
2: Unions have realized that they're in trouble for decades now. And it took them a while to come to terms with that and to start being really creative and adapting to the modern economy. But I think they are giving it a really good try by doing things like allying themselves with all types of social movements. And so I would say if unions have a future, it's in building coalitions with other progressive-type groups who are interested in broadly shared prosperity It's been really interesting to watch what they've done for the last couple of years, and I'm I'm looking forward to the next few.
0: Well, Professor Milkman and Lydia, thank you so much.
2: Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Ruth Milkman is a professor of sociology at CUNY's Graduate Center, and Lydia DePillis is an economics reporter with the Houston Chronicle. And I'm Charlie Herman, and this is Money Talking from WNYC.